Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Hammer and Rails podcast. I am your host, Andrew Ledman. And I'm Casey Bartley. And we're here to recap a pretty damn good weekend for the two marquee Purdue sports. Purdue football, of course, with the victory over Northwestern. Uh, and probably more importantly, and what we're going to cover more in depth tonight, are the two Purdue basketball victories over two ranked programs. Uh, first over North Carolina on Saturday, and then today, Sunday, as we're recording, a thrilling victory over the fifth-ranked Villanova Wildcats? Am I right? Wildcats. Wildcats? Yeah, it's like there's like nine teams there. There's the no major team that's less that's mascot makes less sense or they're less tied to. I think it's because they have a great nickname. Nova yeah, is just like just the Nova, best. Yeah, like it should be the Villanova Novas. Yes, exactly. Well, we've decided it. We've Home field, the name. make those shirts. I. I wouldn't buy that shirt, but I mean, it's a better shirt than the Villanova Wildcats, which I honestly don't even know what their Wildcat looks like. Nope, I don't either. I, I have no idea. Um, I can tell you what the Kentucky Wildcat looks like, but not the Villanova Wildcat. So I couldn't tell you the Kentucky one either. I mean, I could give you a rough estimate of it. So I mean, I could tell you it looks like a cat. There you go. See, you've already got it halfway. Um, so Casey, I know normally I start out these things with a question, but I know you told me you have one for me. I have no idea what it is. Uh, but you said it would lead to a let's nice discussion, go. so let's do it. That's right. All right, Ledman, you are granted a time machine. Oh, I love this already. You have, you have two trips. You can get there and come back, or come to a different different time. We'll let you get home to your family. That's less important. You okay. can go back in time and grab any Purdue basketball player, and you get to plant them on any Purdue team. Who are you taking, and for what team? Okay, so I can take... So in essence, I have three trips, really. Yeah, if that's I, what I'm saying. You can one, get the third trip and go back home. Get home. Yeah. Okay. Oh, man. So I'm trying to – I mean, the obvious answer is I want to take somebody on to the 2017-2018 team that lost in the Elite Eight. Was that that? that I can't get my gears yeah, right. Yeah, the 2018. Yeah, so I'm trying to figure out what that team needed to get them over the hump. Like, my answer is that missing? team. Yeah, so I'm trying to think maybe an additional three-point shooter 
Um, cause I mean, we had, obviously we had Klein, we had, um, Edwards, but I'm wondering if we could have thrown a third person on that team, if it would have given us additional space. So I would need a shooter that can also play defense. There's Is one it, answer. There I mean, I one. There's a lot of answers that could even like give us national titles, but there is one correct answer. I mean, obviously, I, I think the correct answer is you go take Glenn Robinson and bring him onto that team, but I don't know how he'd fit with that team. I mean, obviously, he's, if not the greatest, one of the greatest, the greatest. You know what? That's, that's a fair time. caveat. Let's take Glenn Robinson out of the equation because okay. he, is, he is the obviously you put him on any team. So we'll take Glenn yeah. Robinson out. I mean – it seems like my time machine would not be working very hard, but I feel like I would go back and take Dakota Mathias oh, no. and put him on that team. You're aiming so low. I, I'm. Well, what else, What other position? Like, what? What would you do? Etwan Moore. Yeah. Okay. I mean, <laughs> you just let Etwan play point guard. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, Etwan played with the ball in his hands a lot. That's fine. So, yeah, but so did Carson on that team. So That's fine. Are you really, Virginia- are you taking? Are you taking the ball out of Carson's hands when he had such an incredible tournament? I'm going to let him have one-on-ones because there's no way you can double him. Like Virgi- Virginia did that, doubling Carson and forcing Carson to shoot like 40-footers. Well, yeah, but he You hit, can't do that if each one's the other guard. But he hit the 40-footers. No, he the did. Thing. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess my thing is I don't want to take somebody who is getting the ball out of Carson's hands because – he played like such a maniac with the ball in his hands on those. Etwan played uh, without the ball in his hands a lot. Yeah, but I mean, he, you know, granted he had Lewis Jackson for a little bit of time. And Robbie uh, Hummel. Yeah, but I mean, Hummel and played. Johnson. A, no, you're you're completely changing my argument. The my my point is he had Lewis Jackson on the team who was obviously the the point guard, but even then Etwan played with the ball a lot. Uh, while he was at Purdue, so uh, I wouldn't want to take him because I, I would worry about the who's going to be carrying the ball and who's going to be making the plays with the ball in their hands versus him and and uh, Carson. So I think that's why I would argue for Dakota. Uh, but I mean, and because Dakota is such a smart player too, so you're adding another shooter, a great defender, and a good passer on that team. And I think that would just be a huge addition. I mean, you can never have too many players like that. What does Dakota do better than Etwan Moore? Well, again, the answer is not nothing. Really the, yes. Okay, I grant you that. So, but Etwan Moore has shown throughout his entire NBA career can be perfectly good not having the ball in his. Yes, and I mean that's fair. But I'm trying to figure out who fits best on that team. So and here's you are probably right. I mean, it, I mean, you probably throw a guy like Etwan on there. But let's see, who was the starting four for that 2017? Eifert, right? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, obviously you would say Hummel is probably a higher ceiling than Eifert, but Eifert fits so well on that team, you just hate to take pieces away because you wonder what the domino effect of that's going to be. Yeah, a little bit of concern. I I just think the answer was Etwan for me, and it was kind of a question to talk about Etwan a little more just because I think out of all the players that have played Purdue, there's no one that put more on the table without taking anything off if that makes sense. Yeah, and he's really underrated because he was a quiet player in a sense. Like, he didn't often make the huge dagger plays, but you'd look up at the scoreboard and he'd have 20 and he'd have, you know, a bunch of rebounds. He always took care of the ball. He played good defense. Um, and it's a shame because he did. it did feel like he got overshadowed by Juwan and by Robbie so often. Yeah, and he was the best player out of all three. Yeah, he was the most complete player for sure. sure. And I, I think... You know, he's always – his assist rate for his career, incredibly consistent. When, when 19. you say career, 4, do you mean 
Do you mean only at, at Purdue? Purdue? Are you talking Purdue. NBA? Okay. 19.4, 19.9, 19.8, 20.9. That's assist unbelievable. Rate. unbelievable. You don't think of him as someone, you know, dishing out assists all the time. But that's what he did. Yeah. He was, at the same time, able to also be one of the best shooters, uh, one of the best guys with the ball in his hand. So, like, just uncharacteristically. Talk about smart. He's probably the smartest player we've had at Purdue. Yeah. I mean, he, he was just everything, he about, everything about him was incredible. Um, I mean, I know Travis went. Uh, he got to calling him the red button because it was just anytime you need anything, Etwan would find a way to get it for you um, because he was just so talented. And it's really no surprise when you look at the three baby boilers, you know, uh, Robbie, Juwan and Etwan. It's really no surprise that Etwan has had the best NBA career. And, you know, he's still in the NBA to this day. Mm-hmm. And you th- think about so they were able to focus up on Carson and Ryan. Now you throw Etwan more into it. What, yeah. What, I, what are you doing? I mean, like I said. You're probably not wrong. I'm just trying to figure out. I'm just trying to figure out the best fit for the team because so so much of what of what Painter does with his teams now is try to figure out the pieces that fit together. He's not just getting you know the five best players in the country to try to come to Purdue. He he's looking for who fits on the team and how they fit together. So I think, granted, Etwan was obviously less ball heavy than Carson. I think if you put the two on the team. Uh, I just wonder how they work together. But again, you are probably right. Uh, but Dakota was the first one that came to my mind. So those of you listening, answer this question. Who would you rather have, Dakota Matthias or Etwan Moore? Or name a third player. I mean, it, you don't third, have yeah. to go. Not Glenn go Robinson because that's the that's cheat code. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. That's not a fun question. <laughs> no, because you could say that with anybody. Right. Oh, I will just bring Glenn Robinson yeah. to this team. Or, you know what? Another good answer is you take Carson Edwards and you put him on the Glenn Robinson team that lost in the Elite Eight. Or because, the Baby Boiler team. Yeah, because if you give that Glenn Robinson team, granted, yeah, yeah. you know, Glenn, Glenn injured his back and he didn't do so well in that last game. But, I mean, if you give them a lights-out shooter like Carson Edwards. What the hell, the one, too? Yeah, I mean, that's that's just a great combination. Plus, they got Conzo Martin on that team as well. Um, you know, it's, it would just, they would have won that game and they would have moved on to the Final Four. So, yeah, it it. You know, oh my gosh, I could just do this all day. Yeah, we're trying to. So, part of we're not talking basketball quite yet, but part of the reason this this question came to my mind because every team Purdue's had kind of feels like we're like not even a full player. Sometimes it's like half a player away. I don't think that's a problem this year. No, I don't think so either. So. Uh, we are going to, like I said, we're going to talk about football first. Um, it was furthest away and that basketball game today against Villanova <sighs> deserves, uh, plenty of time. So let's Purdue... give a, I forgot to mention this, uh, pre podcast. Let's give a little shout out to the lady boilers, uh, soccer team. Yeah. Took the number three team in the nation, Notre Dame, all the way to double or not even past double yeah, overtime. Past double overtime. One, one tied game after double overtimes, penalty kicks. We lose four, three in a heartbreaker. But damn, those Boilers were good. Hell of a run. That Purdue women's soccer team is on the ride. Yeah, so kudos to the women's soccer team. Uh, hopefully we'll see them back in the NCAA tournament next year. It's obviously um, you know, quite an accomplishment even to get there given the program's history. So hopefully uh, they continue to, to go further and further. So uh, now going back to football, Purdue defeated Northwestern 32-14. to Honestly, it was kind of a boring game. Um, the thing that so stands boring. out, the thing that stands out to me most is just the horrendous nature of the field on uh, Wrigley. And if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know I'm going to say this. I told you <laughs> why, 
why are we playing football games at a baseball stadium where you have to bring in a new field? You have to – I don't even know when they put it in. It probably was just a couple of weeks ago. But you're I covering doubt it was that long, Ledman. They do these well, things I, like a day I or agree, two beforehand. I agree. I was trying to be generous. So you're covering an infield. You're covering a mound. You're taking out bases. I mean you're con- reconfiguring an entire infield and outfield of a baseball stadium to put in a football field, and we saw the results. It was absolute trash. I mean, it probably ended up working in Purdue's favor given the strange onside kick that we had to start the second half um, that was completely unintentional and caused by our kicker slipping. Um, But there is absolutely no reason anybody should play a game on a baseball stadium if that's the kind of field you're going to bring in. Yeah, that's totally fair. It's cool to play it in a different stadium, all that, that's fine, but it has to be a safe environment. We are lucky that no one lost their ACLs. How he managed to make the kicks he did after doinking the first one, losing his footing, the fact he made other kicks later, Finneran, was impressive, but those kickoffs were all scary. Worked out for us, but yeah, there is no reason to make a spectacle out of something that's not safe. It was a gimmick to be a gimmick, and I, if I'm an opposing coach of Northwestern, no. Do I want to play at Wrigley? No. Yeah, right. If it. they if, no. if they come to you next year and they're like, hey, guess what? We're going to play a game at Wrigley. Um, and we thought we might, you know, ask you guys if you want to do it. Absolutely not. Nope. Um, and I, I do want to say um, Finneran is not the kickoff specialist. Uh, oh. It's actually Chris Van Ekeren uh, who does the kickoffs. So uh, he was the one with the unintentional onside kick. Uh, Finneran, you know. Um, he did, you know, have a pretty good game. He missed the first field goal, but wound up four of five. Um, so the the red zone struggles continue to be an issue for Purdue. But, you know, Finneran, um, who I have incorrectly pronounced as Feinran for about this entire <laughs> podcast, um, it wound up four or five. Uh, the first one, I think you can probably chalk it up to the field. I mean, he, he kicked it so far um out of range of the yeah, of the uprights. Just lost um, you have to think it was a slip. Um so he he was obviously key in this game. I mean he wound up with twelve points just on field goals and that uh nearly tied Northwestern. So um look at some of the stats. O'Connell had another great game, twenty nine of thirty nine for four hundred and twenty three yards. And that's great considering Northwestern, I believe, was uh, second or third ranked pass defense in the league. Um he had three touchdowns, again no interceptions. Just incredible um, so yeah, I mean, I, he's, he's just turned turned everything around. It's been I, it's been crazy. I've been thinking about this pretty much all weekend, and I think it's time that you and me. This is going to be hypocrisy. Uh, I, I will accept if the listeners do not accept this. But why the hell didn't Brown just start him from the start of the season? <laughs> so, <laughs> if this is what was there and he knew it, why did we why did we play around with Jack Plummer? Right. I do wonder because obviously Casey and I were both plumber guys to start the season, and so we, were we have wrong. we have no like. We were wrong. But the fact of the matter is, I don't watch practice. I'm not there every day. Like if 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 AOC had this in him, <laughs> what what are we doing? I mean, he's gone what four or five games now with an interception, and His just last nothing. four game totals. He's got to be averaging like I I could look this up. I'm not good at quick math, but it's right around seventy percent completions, four hundred yards. Yeah. Three touchdowns a game, no interception. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, Two of those games were against top five opponents. Yeah, and he and he won one of them. Granted, you know, the Ohio State game is a whole aberration. But, but that wasn't on AOC. No, not AOC absolutely not. was good. Not. Absolutely not. 
So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, there it's, is a question now of whether AOC is going to come back next come year, back. given the COVID year and everything else. I mean, obviously, it's selfish of us to say it'd be great if he came back. But from his perspective, I, if he ever believed he could go to the NFL, I don't think his stock could ever be higher than it is after this season. I mean, if he plays in the IU game and whatever bowl game Purdue goes to, if he plays at this level, there's absolutely no reason he can't be drafted i i think he looks like a backup uh he makes quick decisions as a decent you know, arm you know who makes tons of money in the nfl backup quarterbacks it's a great life kyle I orton mean, had a lot of fun hey kyle orton was a starter for a, a quite a few he years. was but towards the end there like he came back like halfway through a season to make seven million dollars to be the cowboys back. like it's a good life uh i mean Ch- chase daniel is another one. He's played like five games and he's made sixteen million dollars. You know, oh, way more than six. Chase Daniels is up to like seventy. Pretty sure. Uh, well, a quick Google search tells me it's like sixteen. You're wrong. I well, I you look. I'm just you're arguing with Google. You're not arguing with me. Uh, yeah, it must be because yeah, that's got to be 24. wrong. Twenty four point three million over his career. Oh, thirty four. This see now it says thirty four point three. I don't know. He signed what? a big contract just yes. like a year ago. <laughs> Long story short, you can make quite a living as a backup quarterback, and if AOC believes he can he can get a backup quarterback job, which with these numbers, uh, there's no reason he can't. He he should absolutely leave, but selfishly we want him to stay. Um, and, and thirty four we'll... million as of March okay, of twenty twenty. Yeah, what the he- I don't know so what that's, my a, that's another was. year worth of thing. Yeah, so. I mean, he, he's just been slinging the ball all over the field. Uh, David Bell had 12 catches, 101 yards, so he again was over 100. But the great thing uh, about the receiving core is with so much attention paid to David Bell, uh, Milton Wright went absolutely insane. Uh, three touchdowns all on long balls, uh, I believe all to the left side of the field. Um, eight receptions, 213 yards, and the guy just... He went off, and he's really turned his season around. Um, after the first couple games where he had drops, his hands would looked unsure. Uh, ever since probably game three or game four, he's never looked back, and he's really put our minds at ease, I think, as to who's going to be the number one receiver next year and what kind of threat he can be. Do you think that the Northwestern secondary uh, thought there was like an offsides call on football the same way soccer is? <laughs> yeah. But, or do you uh, think that... Do you think Before it was illegal that, that they had that a receiver could make two moves in the let, same Let me just say route. this. Uh, I go back to Ted Lasso. I don't fully understand the offside rule. <laughs> so uh, I know what you're trying to say, and I get it on one level. Uh, but, you know, if we go too deep into it, I'm just going to have to say words that don't really make sense. So, so do you want me to try to explain offside? I to you? do not. I do not. It's really have, not that hard of a con- You passed law school. I have no interest, no interest in learning. Plus, plus, I want to talk about the fact that the Purdue defense, at one point in this game, there was a drive by Northwestern that was four plays and four sacks. I like that a lot. That was crazy. It was a I don't lot think of I've, fun. I don't think I've ever, ever in my life seen a drive like that. Yeah, um, our defense is good. It's really nice when we're not playing Ohio State. <laughs> Yes, yeah, it's it's amazing nope. what you can do what you can do when you're not playing probably one of the top two teams in the nation. Those were also our only four sacks of the game. Ledman, can you name the four people that had the sack? Uh, without looking, uh, how many you can get? Yeah, Karloftis got one. Mitchell got one. No, no, he didn't. Oh, see, I'm already out. You're just man. naming the guys you know. 
Yes. Because I honestly barely know the names of these guys. That's Kidron Jenkins. Sure. Yeah. Who played well, had four tackles. Uh, Jack Sullivan. It was his only tackle of the game. Joe Anderson. Also his only tackle. Yeah. I would not have gotten those. I didn't think so. I wouldn't also have not. No. And what quarter was that in? You're, Cause you're obviously looking at the play by play. Was that in the fourth? Oh, I'm not looking at the play by play. Uh, I, but oh, it was the fourth. The it was goals. the fourth quarter. Okay. It was yeah, the I, last drive that mattered in any way for Northwest. Turned out not mattering much. For- yeah. I, I mean the, the, here it was. Yeah, it was, it, they had, it was actually a 12 play drive, but Purdue had, uh, four sacks in a row after a first and 10, uh, sacked by Joe Anderson, loss of two. Kendrick Jenkins, loss of five. Jack Sullivan, loss of nine. And then on fourth and 26, Karloftis sacked him for a loss of six yards. So, uh, I mean, that that was just an incredible series. And then, of course, we also had the interception that really ended the game uh, from uh, Diedrich Mackey, just put the game out of reach. So, I mean, I, I don't really think there's much else to say on this. Purdue now seven and four, five and three in the conference, which if you remember at the beginning of this podcast, we talked about best case scenario for Purdue football. Uh, and I said best case scenario was six and six. And Casey laughed at me thinking my best case scenario at six and six I was rosy and optimistic. So there you go. You're just you, now you're just in training. <laughs> we need a training montage a la Rocky to see how you're doing. Yeah. Um, so. You know, Purdue got their seventh win for the first time, first time in the regular season, regular season seventh win since 2007, and now has a chance to get their eighth regular season win for the first time since 2006 when Indiana comes to town next week. So, are we supposed uh, to print up eight win shirts? That's yes, that's what you eight, do, right? Eight in, I can't even eight do a nice is pun great. Purdue. Eight is great. Eight so, is great. I mean, it, this this season has been one of really high highs and really low lows. You know, we were so very frustrated at the beginning of the year when things started to go off the rails. Um, you know, some some bad losses that we'd like to have back, but the way this team has rallied to beat Iowa, to beat Michigan State, uh, and now sit at seven and four, five and three in the conference is really just unbelievable. And, and Casey and I are, need to eat a lot of crow. <laughs> well, I'm eating a lot of waffles. I won't have room for crow. Yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, and you don't want to add any extra protein. Yeah, no, I just think the reason I know like this is legitimate and we're kind of here is that was I have never been more bored at a football game, not at a game, but watching. I was it was say, boring. You were not there. It was boring. I didn't really enjoy any of it, and we won by 18. Yeah, and it wasn't close. And no. so it was boring because I was never worried, but also was played in a baseball. Yes. Yeah. The only thing I was worried about was if somebody was going to slip, fall, yeah. and, and hurt their knee. So that was our biggest worry. And just to be able to say that at this point in the, in the season is unbelievable. Remarkable. If you would have, if you were to time travel back 12 weeks and tell me this, uh, I would not have believed you. Uh, nope. I would have slapped you in the face. So. There That's we go. Assault. For, yeah. Well, technically, it's battery, but you know, Jesus we'll, we'll let that go. We'll let that go. So Purdue seven and four, five and three in conference. We're gonna take a quick break. Come back, talk about Purdue winning the Hall of Fame Classic tip-off. Is that, was that the name of this? Let's thing? go, Boilers! There we go. Just cut it right there. Back to break. <laughs> we'll be back. Ooh, opening a drink. White Claw, baby. Oh, did you ever find those White Claw Surge? I've seen them multiple times. The fact I know I'm an adult now is you didn't I never buy them. grabbed them. That's that's sad. Who knew Casey would be so soft? I just bet they taste awful. I'm sure they're awful. So, I don't even like regular White Claw. Um, get, I, don't, I don't like hard seltzers really in general. Oh, I love hard seltzers, but like I don't need tough points for right. 
Like the right. only reason I drink them is because they're enjoyable and crisp and refreshing. If you take that away, why am I drinking a hard seltzer? I'll go drink bourbon. Right. Just give me a shot of something instead. Yeah. All right. Just makes no sense. All right. You got the North Carolina uh, box score up. I did. All right. Oh, that one. No. <laughs> what the fuck other North Carolina box score you think we're going to discuss? I have the Villanova box score up. So you just didn't listen at all. What I asked. No, exactly. Okay. Good, good, good. We're off I have them both. All right. All right, I'm going to get started here in a sec. This is the first uh, conversation we've had for mid-break that I'm considering keeping. <laughs> I'm probably going to do it, so. Well, we'll see. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. All right, and we are back. Uh, so as I said at the top of the show, Purdue basketball had a fantastic weekend currently they're ranked number sixth went into the hall of fame championship tip-off classic bonanza bazaar uh and they faced north carolina on saturday following the northwestern uh victory and they walked out with a 93 to 84 victory over the number 18 ranked tar heels and uh it was the fourth game of the season and it was the fourth time purdue had scored over 90 points so the offense has just been humming uh looked really great this was the also the last game of the season that did not have uh mason gillis as he was set to come back for the uh championship game should purdue win so uh casey this was obviously a pretty great game it was the first real test that purdue has had this season and they passed it with flying colors walking out with a nine point win so who stood out or what stood out to you in this game? I have a feeling I know what you're about to say, though. Well, if you read my game rap... I, I, don't, said, read the, I don't read the website. It's, uh, it's mostly trash. <laughs> that's fair. This was a game in three parts. It was a Shakespearean tragedy for North Carolina. But, I was going to say, not for us. We walked no, out with a victory. For so. North Carolina. But, I mean, this was literally a game of three players, which makes sense because we had three guys score 20 points for the yeah. first time since 1997. And it started off with Sasha came out blazing on fire uh really has an expanded game where he can make shots at the most difficult of angles starting to look a little bit like ryan klein out there making off shots. high praise that's high praise yeah. um and then obviously in the second half Jaden ivy had his moment uh the first of many this season I took over as a playmaker even more than just scoring points but he did drop 22 points hit two threes those plays he made in in transition, particularly finding uh, Sasha for an open three, finding shooters and players all around big time. And then we saw Trey Williams, the closer, something we've seen throughout his career. Late in the game, there's no one better to just give him the ball. They left North Carolina through the whole game, pretty much left him one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, he got in foul trouble early, so he couldn't take advantage of it. But late in the game, he just freaking cooked the Tar Heel. Fouled two players out. 
continuously gave that little shimmy inside or a quick little thing to the baseline where he's so good with that right hand off the glass. And those three players, like, they each had their moment. They stepped up to the stage. Each of them uh, just beautiful playmaking, scoring, and it was just an all-around great team performance. Yeah, and, of course, Ivy ended up with a double-double, 22-10. and 10. Uh, He also dished out six assists. He only had one turnover. That so. was a career high for him on assists yeah. for yeah. one day. Well, right. Um, but, I mean, when he plays well, he is one of the most electric players that Painter has probably had on the team the entire time he's been at Purdue because um, he can just do anything. And his first step is so fast that, you know, we saw him do these things against North Carolina and Villanova as well. But when you can just take your man off the dribble like he does against this top tier talent, it really gives you hope that he can continue this throughout Big Ten season, throughout, you know, Big Ten tournament and, and into the NCAA tournament to show that he's a big-time player and he is going to be able to make a big-time play when Purdue needs it. Yeah, you talked about, yeah, he he has a sense of the moment. Purdue was reeling, and what, what does he do? It's It doesn't start with offense. He goes and attacks the defensive rebounds, 10 yeah. of them. And every time he grabs the ball, he is an instant transition all on his own he's that fast he's that explosive and we have seen it now throughout this entire season that opens up easy buckets for other players that gets our offense going and all of a sudden in 40 seconds we have a 9-0 run yeah and in it was in this game where he had the back-to-back dunks correct back-to-back dunks uh yeah. one was off a not even transition he just got the ball and two guys were just kind of like a little bit jogging upfield or yeah, up court. They, took, they looked a little lazy. And he just goes, all right, boosters. Boom. Next one, he did what we saw at the U19. Cut off a passing angle, took it to the house. Incredible yeah. display of athleticism. Yeah, and, and not only does that hype up your team, but it tur- and turns and demoralizes your opponent because he scored those four points so fast. And it was at a stage in the game when the, you know, it was a little bit iffy of what Purdue was going to do, but you take that those four points, emphatic points, and it really hypes your team up and can bring the team down, bring your opponent down. Um, and it hyped up the Purdue crowd, which is always good at these weird neutral site games where you never really know what the atmosphere is going to be like. No, Purdue fans always travel well, but more so you just trust when you're on the court and you know you have the best player on the court, there is a comfort level because you know you're never going to just get like ran off a court. And Jaden Ivey's that guy. He's special. Uh, not many people can turn ordinary plays or a rebound into an advantage that quickly. And when he puts those boosters on, when he's in the zone like that, and now with the way he's passing that we've seen, especially these last two games, it's not just about him. He can get his shooters going too. And that is really effective for a team full of guys that know how to score the ball. Yeah. The the only thing, well, I guess I should say two things that stand out to me about the North Carolina game that I did not love uh, Purdue got out rebounded, thirty-one uh, to thirty-seven. Yeah, you, you never like to see that. Purdue was only able to grab four offensive rebounds compared with twelve for North Carolina. Some of that may be, you know, the type of shots they take. Some are easier to rebound than others. Um, but you Honestly, would like to it, go ahead. It, it was officiating. Almost all of Trey and Edie's fouls were on rebound. They didn't allow them to really be aggressive because they were so much bigger than North Carolina's guys. North Carolina guys did a good job putting bodies on them. But pretty much any iffy call on rebounds, you saw Edie or Trey getting an over-the-back call. And I really thought that kind of set the table for that where 
they weren't able to be aggressive on the boards, especially Edie, who doesn't need to go over the back to grab a rebound. But any time that he went up for a rebound, there seemed to be a with. Yeah, yeah, and they've got to learn to adjust to that because officiating crews in the in the NCAA can be uh, hit or miss, and they can be so uh, different from one game to the next. And uh, they've got to be used to these situations and see how they can adjust and make sure they can stay on the floor. Uh, because obviously, even though, you know, not that they're interchangeable, but when you have two centers like Edie and Williams, you want to make sure that at least one of them is going to be with you the entirety of the game. And when Williams wound up with four fouls in that North Carolina game, it kind of gives you an idea of uh, maybe Purdue might have to play without one of them uh, at a time in the future. And, and we want to be able to to uh, continue to play a good offense in a, in a situation where one of them has to be out for the entirety. So it, you know. The, the officiating is always a problem for big guys, and when Purdue has big guys pretty much all the time under Matt Painter, uh, it can cause some drama. So well, you, it's always frustrating. You touched on the one thing that I took out of that game, which is what does happen when we have to play without a center? We found out. Because with yeah. 8.26 left, Trey caught a second foul. Edie and Trey stayed on the bench from that point forward. The score when, uh, when he fouled and went to the bench, 24-18. Six-point lead for Purdue. Uh, the rest of the half, we just let first play center. That's a big task. Those big men for North Carolina are good. That's a good team they played. And we finished the half 41-35. We kept that six-point lead even with him with just first on the court. And if I think – we expected this from Ivy. We knew what Edie was. We knew what Trey was. I think what we learned from this weekend is first is a stud. Yeah, he's been he's been incredible. He's not um, just good for a true freshman. No, no, he's good for anybody on the team. I mean, he he played 32 minutes against North Carolina, uh, a freshman on a team this talented and this deep, and Painter's asking him to play 32 out of 40 minutes. Um, that's incredible. I mean, he had the third most minutes on the team behind only Stefanovic with 35 and Ivy with 34. So, uh, he he's been better, I think, than either of us imagined he could be. And we were both very high on him throughout the whole yeah. offseason. Yeah. We watched him at U19. We say he's a perfect player to play next to our bigs. Uh, perfect four. Turns out uh, he's just perfect. Yeah. There, yeah. There's no qualifier to it. He is incredibly big, moves. It is uncanny how well he moves for how big he is. Yeah. You you look at him as he moves on the floor, and you, you would be shocked when you see actually how tall he is. Um, what is he officially listed at? Um, 6'10". 6'10". He's a legit yeah. 6'10". So uh, you just watch him play, and you'd think he was he was more 6'6", 6'7". Yeah. Um, and to have that ability is just great. So, I mean, he played great, and it kind of transitions us right into today's yep. game, Purdue versus Villanova, um, which was a dogfight, an absolute dogfight. Um, Purdue came out and took a lead early and held it for the majority of the first half. And then Villanova kept chipping away, chipping away. The lead got down um, to single digits, got down to one or two. And then with just a few minutes left in the first half, Villanova took the lead um, and went into halftime 33 to 31. And we kind of got that feeling that we as Purdue fans get of, you know, the the other team is shooting well from deep. We can't seem to corner. We can't seem to cover, you know, the corner three. We're missing. Uh, we're missing our shots now. And Villanova just seems to have shooters all over the place. And it got me a little worried. Um, Casey, how worried were you when Villanova started to really turn up the pressure there? I mean, I there were some people on Twitter that called me out after a few tweets. <laughs> I saw uh, that. 
And they're not wrong because I went straight to the dogma. I We are a very – Coach Painter, for the longest time, had this hat put on him that he was a great defensive coach and the offense needed. For the last 10 years or so, our offense has been pretty much better than our defense. Uh, we have a great offensive system, and I've always liked his offense a lot more than the credit he seemed to get. Defensively, we're very rigid. Yeah. We play the same system. We allow bigs to shoot. We overhelp. We kind of play the numbers that uh, we're not going to get burnt on jump shot. The first half of this game, first half of the second half especially, we got burnt on jump shots. I was like, great, we're not adjusting. This is what happens. Teams get hot against us, and we don't really have something to go to on defense. But Painter always talks about, look, this is the best way to play defense. You have to trust the numbers. And it worked out. Yeah. Our offense got hot. And their legs got tired. They played seven players. Exactly. That was that was what I wanted to point out. I mean, Purdue played. He's what, smarter we, than 10 me. Guys today. Well, He's obviously smarter than me. Okay. So, <laughs> so I need yeah. to not freak out. <laughs> like they, they played seven players. They played six. Players. Did they only play six? They played seven. Uh, Arcadiancado. Oh yeah, played he only five, played minutes. five minutes. Yeah. So uh, I mean, their their starting five played thirty-seven minutes, forty minutes. 38 minutes, 36, and 24. Uh, so, and that, that's coming off a day where they just played the day before against Tennessee. Uh, again, Tennessee no slouch themselves. They're also ranked in the top 25. So it's a very quick turnaround. And yes, these guys are young. They're in much better shape than Casey and I. But the fact is, that'll ultimately catch up with you. And when you're asking your starters to play 37, 36, 40 minutes, your legs will get a little tired in the second half. And I think that's what we saw probably at around six or seven minutes left in the second half. You notice Villanova was just a little slower. Their shots weren't falling and their free throws, especially uh, their free throw percentage just plummeted as the second half went on. Yeah. And you could tell they were a little worn out, not getting the same looks, but Also, Purdue definitely tightened up on defense. We were just getting lost on screens. We were letting way too many. It is a, it's a Euro concept of this. You pretty much, you muddy up your guard in the middle and then set a screen straight out. Yeah, what did they call it? The the Spanish screen or? Yeah. I I never had a name for it. Yeah. And it is, it's something you see in FIBA ball a lot. And pretty much you're just using the tendencies to think when you're setting a screen inside, you're expecting the the shooter to go to the corner spread it out instead they kind of use that muck to get up and get straight up and open and it worked it worked a lot we didn't do a great job tracking those screens we didn't do a great job getting in those shooters face and we also left especially for the first two-thirds of the game just wide open shooters in the corner on every drive and we can't defend that if you're gonna give up a three-point shot it's got to be somewhere else than the easiest three-point on the court so i think we definitely have to tighten up but our defense did get better at the end, started getting a hand up, and you could see that it, it's going to wear on teams to play us. Yeah. Which yeah, is a with, good feeling. Exactly. Uh, and I did look it up on Twitter. Uh, it's apparently called the Spanish pick and roll, which is the normal pick and roll with a back screen, um, which is what they were running and apparently just gave Purdue fits. So, um, I mean, again, being able to play 10 men deep as Purdue did with Mason Gillis back uh gillis by the way played 10 minutes uh one rebound he only took one shot missed it i mean are we ready to have a gillis discussion uh sure i think you know where i'm gonna go with because i made a comment the fact that he's never gonna start again if caleb first is on the team beyond that i think he's oh no i'm not sure where you're going i think he's our 10th man oh in theory morton got eight minutes played less you're right 
I think Morton's better for this team than Gillis. I mean, you know I love Ethan Morton, so I'm not going to argue that. But I, I, There is a rigidness to Mason Gillis's offense. The only thing he is is a spot-up shooter. And he's he's also, I mean, he he gets those dirty work extra putbacks. He does. Um, it, I, which I just don't know how valuable that is next that. to Edie and Tr- Yes, exactly. And and when you have a guy like First who does that but also adds other things. If anything, I would rather play First 30 some minutes than to even get Gillis the minutes he got today. I know that's not feasible for a whole season, but no, I just... No, especially as your freshman year. I mean, first will eventually hit a wall this season. All freshmen seem to, um, and that's, I think, when Gillis will be most valuable, valuable to Purdue, but uh, I don't think you're necessarily wrong. Yeah, I get what you're saying. First didn't hit a wall today. Uh, we haven't quite discussed this yet because uh, that true freshman went 5-5 five of five from the field. Only three yeah. rebounds today, only one assist, one turnover, but 5-5 five of five from the field. Uh, that stretch where Ivy took over again, it, it was this time three straight assists. They were all to first, and first showed off everything that he does incredibly well. Uh, first off, the just easy dunk that Ivy created for him. And then in transition, it was it was a four on two with the two defenders down low. And I thought, I thought Ivy did first kind of dirty. He gave him the ball real late and with two guys kind of like yeah, swapped in front true. of him. I remember that. I don't know how first finished like incredible, just like speed and balance. Yeah. And then open corner three. That's the one place first has struggled to shoot. Yes. He's not his three points. His three point percentage so far this year has not been great, but he certainly buried that one. Well, yeah, in the corner, we've seen him hit the side of the backboard a couple times. He's been good from up. So it was nice to see him knock that down. But that ball when when first caught that pass earlier in the game in the corner, Drove by his man baseline, Euro stepped around the big, took contact, and then finished with his offhand. There's there's not more than like a handful of bigs in the country that can make that play. And he's yeah, a true I, freshman. He he's been incredible. Again, I mean, he's been better than either of us could have imagined. Um, but before, you know, we go on to something else, I think it's right that I call you out uh for your lack of faith in Isaiah Thompson. I, I, uh, go ahead, go ahead. I'll let you defend yourself before I thrash are, you. Are you talking about last year's? No, no. Well, I mean, of course I'm. So we did the player profiles in the off season. Yeah. And you basically said, you know, you were hoping he's not playing more than than ten or fifteen minutes. Yeah, I was. Yeah, do. I was dead wrong. And he today played twenty one minutes. Uh, obviously, he was a starter. Uh, four for five from three. And granted, he you know he had turnover two turnovers. No real other stats, uh, you know, not a great rebounder. You don't expect him to be, but uh, four or five from three, 12 points, and those were big threes. Um, I said on Twitter that he's kind of taken over for his brother, P.J. Thompson, huh? who was the the big shot maker uh, in many games when he was at Purdue. So Thompson, I think, has just been great so far this season. But I, I think to your credit, he's doing what you asked him to do because Painter is not asking him – to do too terribly much we're asking him to be the spot up shooter hit the shots where he's open and really that's what he's done so you weren't wrong he's just he seems to have exceeded what you expected him to be yeah um so he started off the game very poorly a couple defensive miscues a bad turnover but in that second half that was the best he's ever played defensively i thought he really got after gillespie especially late so that was encouraging to see that play where he got knocked down on the screen and still got up to force Gillespie to move the ball on the perimeter. Right, that was a right. really big play. 
And yeah, he's got a knack for making shots, and it definitely came up today. He's better than Eric Hunter now. Uh, it, yeah. It's, it's not a mystery. He It's very clear he took the starting job from Eric Hunter, and it makes sense. Yeah. He does it, things on offense. Hunter does not. It's it's kind of fascinating to see the change from last year to this year in both Eric Hunter Jr. and Brandon Newman. Um, Hunter had 19 minutes. Newman only had 12. And those two were such integral pieces last year that I wonder how that is going to play with them, you know, mentally and emotionally, because college basketball is a rough sport. It's a long season. There's a lot and a big mental aspect to it. And, you know, Trevion Williams has talked about how he he just wants the team to win. If you're worried about minutes, you know, this isn't the place for you. And he's come off the bench and he's played great so far this year. And I hope that Hunter and Newman have that same attitude because they're probably not playing as much as they want and they're not contributing as much as they want. Certainly there will be a time in the future, there will be a game where each of them step up and make a big difference. Um, But for right now, they're getting a little bit lost in the shuffle. I think the one thing with Newman, it's easier because he has two years left. He's going to step in. It's going to be his role next year, almost for sure. Sasha's leaving, Hunter's leaving, and he's the clear next sharpshooter in line. Hunter, it's a little more difficult. He's been here a while. He's a senior, but he's also never given us any indication he's nothing but a great kid. Does yeah, what absolutely. he needs to do, so I'm not worried about it. And I think that's the one benefit, the, not the one, but even bigger benefit. Trey Williams is an All-American, and he's playing from the bench. If he's not going to p- complain about it and play hard, you don't have an excuse not to. Right. Yeah, that is true. And I mean, Trevion has has acted as such a leader of this team, both on and off the court. You know, his attitude is infectious. I'm not sure if you saw the clip um, of the team receiving the trophy, but the this um, tournament was sponsored by Cheez-Its, yeah. as you saw on the floor. And Just so they gave a shitty thing. I mean, I'm fine with them. They're not my favorite. I will not go out and buy them. Uh, my wife loves them. There's actually a box in my cabinet. I don't really eat them. Um, but they gave him the trophy, and Sasha was carrying it around. And I don't know if it came with the Cheez-Its in the, in the, in the bowl or if someone <laughs> – because there were also individual – there were also individual you bags You think one of, of the players did it? Well, I'm wondering if someone – It would be Trey, opened, right? Probably. I'm wondering – but – Here's why here's why I don't think it was him. I think it came like that because the video so shows Sasha, that's a hard thing to say, carrying around the trophy and he show, showed uh the trophy to to Trey and it was had the Cheez-Its in it and Trey's like, "Oh," and picked one out and grabbed it and like <laughs> gave a thumbs up to the camera and like had a good time. So, uh I think his attitude and just the what he brings to this team uh, in addition to what he does on the floor should be a good lesson for guys like Hunter and guys like Newman who maybe aren't getting the minutes that they've hoped for that, you know, just go out there and do what you're going to do and things will happen for you. And Painter obviously notices when people put in the work and and he will reward them as the season goes on. Trey got to close down the North Carolina game. Yeah. It was his game. He got the ball every time. That's going to be the case more often than not. Tonight, Edie stayed in. Edie was playing well. They had no answer for his size. This is just how it's going to be. Yeah, you earn your minutes. This is a team collective. Everyone's been here before. They've all tasted disappointment. They're not going to be petty enough game to game because they know at some point it's their time to step up. And if they do it, they will get rewarded. Painter has never been anything but fair. Yeah. Our our leading minute getters in this giant game against the top five opponent, Ivy and Stevanovic, they both only played 33 minutes. Yeah. 
Yeah. No and, one else and, played more than 24. And it's, again, it's worth pointing out how great Zach Eady played. Only played 19 minutes, but he was 9 of 12 and 3 for 3 at the line. Six rebounds, wound up with 21 points, leading score for the game. And, I mean, he, he just dominated the beginning of the game. He had six points and three rebounds in about three and a half minutes and really set the tone for what Villanova needed to do on defense. And that was try to stop the bigs. And that hopefully would allow guys like Sasha and guys like Isaiah Thompson to get those open threes that, um, you know, it was hit or miss. They, they had some runs in the beginning and then they really turned it on again in the second half. But, uh, this team is just so complete. And even when it looks like they're out of it, when, you know, they were down 10, I think the ultimate, the biggest lead for Villanova might've been 11. 10 um, oh, it was only 10. Okay. Um, they got to but, 10 twice. Okay. But I mean, even at that point, you do have that thing in the back of your head, like, Hey, we're not out of this. We've got a lot of talent. Uh, we can turn it around. And sure enough, you know, Purdue went on that 14 to four run. I believe it was, uh, and then suddenly they're back in the lead and then just closed it out. Uh, and kudos here to Eric Hunter Jr., who went three for four at the line to kind of salt the game away as it as it ticked down. Yeah, Eric Hunter came up big with some free throws. I think it's I, I think we have to mention it would be a disservice not to say Trey Williams defensively. That was a game where they they were attacking us small and Trey was as engaged and quick and on the ball as I've seen him defensively. And yeah, he had he, very active hands. Yeah three steals and was just able to like really cut down some guys on the perimeter, able to cut off some danger down at the hoop, just really good. And a combination of him engaging like that to take on small lineups. And then Edie is just this cheat code that we're never going to get really blown out. We're never going to get the game far away. We're going to start well because no one has an answer for him. And he's just easy buckets at the start of each half. And that just helps a game not slip away. It helps. I, I was just, oh, go ahead. No, I was just I was just amazed how many times today we're trying to get the ball to Edie. We threw it too high for Edie on at least three occasions. Like, how do you overthrow Edie? He's seven four and he lifts his arms up and it's like nine feet. Two two of the times are because Edie got caught with the guy underneath him to the point that he couldn't reach up. So it looked worse and weirder than it was. Yeah, but that's it, probably it, it was fair. just that he was in a position where he couldn't fully stretch up because they were kind of hitting him low. Yeah. And and I think it's worth worth pointing out that this Villanova team is damn good. Um, they're incredibly disciplined on both offense and defense. They wound up with just four turnovers on the, uh, on the entire game, four turnovers, none in the Villanova's first half. Villanova's really good. They are <laughs> they so are good. really good. I mean, Jay Wright, great coach, had this team ready to go. If they had better depth, this is probably a different game. But with with only playing, like you said, seven guys, but really six because of only five minutes by that other guy, um, it it just wore them down. I believe playing against our our ten man rotation. So if if uh, Villanova could find a couple other guys to throw in there, it'll be a completely different game. Yeah, but this is a time of year usually where your rotation is bigger. It usually shrinks going forward into the season. Yeah. You don't develop players in the season. Beginning of the year, you play all the guys you think might be ready and find out which ones are and aren't. So the fact they were playing the second game of a back-to-back and they didn't stretch their lineup any more than that, that would give me worry if I'm a Villanova fan. For Purdue, we added our 10th player. That is a good sign for success in the season going forward. And then, you know, when we get to tournament, we can worry about, you know, we're going to get better when we're playing first closer to 30 minutes. Yeah. When we're playing uh, right now, Thompson closer to 30 minutes. Uh, yeah. No, and no kidding. I, I, 
once again, I was impressed by Morton when he came in. Only played eight minutes. I thought he gave us good minutes. I did too. He's I did a, too. He's a weird. He's a weird player. His size and the way he plays, and he, he's looking to push it, and I like that with a team full of shooters. So you never know when he's going to grab a rebound and him pushing it forward just kind of creates some open space. Yeah, he, Gillis, he's aggressive, but he's also smart. Gillis wasn't good, but he hasn't played, you know, basketball like this to start the season. He doesn't have three games under his belt. So I imagine he gets better. His shot, you know, he only took the one shot and airballed it, but that's going to come along a little better, you got to hope. So we yeah, look- yeah, and it's hard to... Hard to come in in your first game against Villanova, you know, and just be thrown in there. He didn't get to go up against uh, Bellarmine and kind of get his feet wet. He just got thrown against the number five team in the nation. It's why I thought he might not play. I thought there might have been a little bit of painter like, you know what? We've got a thing going. We'll go play him against Omaha. But he played. He got his feet a little wet and we won the game. And I, how are you not encouraged by this Purdue team that just we got an extra gear that most teams don't have that Purdue teams don't normally have? And it's yeah. scary. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people mentioned it on Twitter and and uh, in other places that people, you know, send us comments that these are the kind of games that Purdue generally loses. You know, they go into these big se- early season tournaments against big names and they come up just short. But we walk away like, hey, you know, we hung with them. We looked really good, blah, blah, blah. Um, but tonight or today, Purdue walked away with a victory and it just says that we can really keep up with anybody. So, um, Casey... Any final thoughts? I think I think we covered it. Uh, we we got a big week ahead of us when it comes to football. And then the one thing with basketball, we're about to play. <laughs> it's a really bad team we're playing. Oh, Omaha. Omaha. Yeah, I know nothing about them other other than I'm looking at their logo and it's a a, a red O that's red halfway and black halfway. That's all I know about Omaha. So right now they're not actually the worst team we have left because we also play Incarnate Word again. Ah, good, 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 good. Uh, but right now, Ken Palm has us winning 88 to 56, 99.8% win chance. I take that. I take that. I think that's probably low. Um, 322nd so, team. In- nice. So, I mean, we don't really have a lot to say about Omaha. Probably not something we're going to stress about. But we will be back with you middle of the week. We're going to talk about uh, the Purdue versus Indiana game. And we will also probably give you a little bit on Omaha because that will come out uh, before. That game will be after the podcast comes out. Friday so, game. So, there you go. There you go. So uh, for Casey and myself, let's enjoy this great Boilermaker Sport Weekend. Um, and Casey, I'm going to let you sign off like we've been doing lately. How about them Boilers? Boiler up.